Hello and welcome to the Harvest Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. We are honored that you would click on this and listen to God's Word preached by one of our elders. At the same time, we strongly affirm the biblical mandate for Christians to be a faithfully active and in-person part of their local church. This sermon cannot and will not replace what a local church can provide to the life of a Christian. That being said, we hope that this sermon challenges and encourages you in your faith and that it builds upon the faithful ministry of your local church. We hope that you enjoy. God bless. If you'll turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 5. I want to applaud Pastor Kersey for reading all those names. Just want to... Uh, you're a better man and pastor than I am. I would have skipped them. Uh, no, not you, sir. It's in there for a reason, right? And you did well. You didn't even stumble, man. I don't know. It's impressive, to be honest. <clears throat> One day you see those men in heaven, they're gone. Thank you. That's what they're going to say. John chapter 5. We have been making our way through John chapter 5, and it has been uh, about a month now, and we've somewhat um, slowed down, and, and we've said because it's such a pivotal point in the gospel of John, and I hope you just kind of take ownership a little bit of it, if you will, because John chapter 5, it is Christ preaching about Christ. It's Jesus talking about who he is. Um, and other scripture is definitely scripture and God's word. And other people saying this is what this is about Jesus. The whole Bible is about Jesus. But here, zoomed in, is Jesus preaching about who Jesus is. Um, we can say, you know, other people in the Bible say Jesus is God. But here we talked about for the last couple of weeks, Jesus claimed to be God by nature. Uh, let's just real quick look at it in chapter 5, verse 18. Um, this was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Uh, in John chapter 5, he healed a lame man who had been lame for 38 years. And they're mad because he did it on the Sabbath. But that's not why they wanted to kill him. <laughs> they want to kill him, as we read, not only because he broke the Sabbath, but he was call, even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. He's going around saying, I am the son of God. Now, we said Jews would never say that. No Jewish man would say, hey, I'm a son of God, or a woman would say, I'm a daughter of God. They would never claim that because in their minds, that meant they shared the same nature. Um, <laughs> how many of you grew up and said, I'm never going to be like my mama. I ain't never going to be like my daddy. I ain't never going to be like so-and-so that raised you, but you look at yourself now in the mirror, and you're like, I'm just like them. You did. Why? Because you're the same nature. You're just you're just, just what you are. You come from them, right? And, and so in that same kind of sense, I mean, that was more deeper in their Jewish heritage, right? I mean, you were named. You didn't have a last name. You were daughter of so-and-so. You were son of so-and-so. You were, you were of the same nature. And Jesus is saying, I share the nature of God the Father. I am God. That's what he's saying. And they got that, right? Because they said that's making him equal with God. So just on his confession, they wanted to kill him. And not only that, down in verse 19, he said he can do what God does. Let's read. So Jesus said, truly I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. Whatever the father does, the son does likewise. 
Not only is he saying, is he the same nature? He goes, I do what the Father does. Do you know what the Father did? He gives life. He judges. The Old Testament says he created the world. Jesus said, I, I do that. I create things. I give life. I'm the judge. He goes on to even make that. I give life to who I want to. And then down in verse 23, when he didn't think it could get any more plain, he says that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. We talked about the one thing Jewish people were very strict on is that they were monotheists. They only worship and honor Yahweh, one God. And he, he wouldn't even let you write the name Yahweh or God down. It just You couldn't even say it or write it down. But Jesus is very clear that he, along with the Father, can be worshipped and is to be worshipped. These are enormous claims that Jesus is equal with the Father. He's from the Father. He shares the same nature of the Father. He is to be worshipped. And so now he makes all these claims in this, uh, and we just pointed out, and it's good to say, just to bring you to the context of John 5, he's not, he's not having a discussion. Not, it's not like this morning. He's not preaching to nice, beautiful, friendly faces. He's preaching to people that want to kill him. Okay, so that's who he's talking to here. And so he makes this claim that he's God, and surely they're going to say, well, you just can't claim that. How are you going to prove it? Well, Jesus here this morning, as we read these following verses, he's going to um, call witnesses, as you were this morning, at somewhat of a courtroom where Jesus is the, the attorney, and he's saying, I'm calling witnesses to verify my claims. And um, so we'll pick it up in verse 31. But this morning what we're talking about is truth. We're talking about truth. In the day and time that we live, truth is subjective. You can have your truth. You can have your truth. I can have a different truth, but we can all have our truth, right? Even though it contradicts, that can be your truth as my truth. You can say you're a woman, but you're a man. But that's, that's your truth, you know. And I got my truth, but you got your truth. That's all good, right? That's the world we live in, or we're told that we're supposed to live in. Um, and... In the same, you kind of hear that love is love. Heard that? Love is love. What does that really mean? Uh, it means that if I say I love somebody or something, no matter what it is or who it is or when it is or how it is, who are you to say that that's not real or can't, be, can't happen? Because all love is love. Who are you to judge? It's my truth. It's my love. Well, you know, it's, it's a whole postmodern kind of thing. You know, kind of the whole idea of the world we live in is that, you know, it's, um, it's the blind men who came uh, to the elephant, and they're coming to the elephant. One grabs the, the ear, and he says, hey, I got a blanket. Uh, the other comes to the foot, and he goes, hey, I got a stump. You know, another comes to another body part, and they're all saying they all got it, but they don't know what it is, but it's all, they all got what they think they got. You know, everybody can have their truth, so to speak. And that's kind of the world that we live in. But um, you, you come to the Bible, and it just won't have any of that. It, it just will have none of that. I mean, and you kind of think about the truth claims of our day that all, you know, you have your truth and I have your truth, that truth is subjective, okay? Well, that is, think about that for a minute, that is a truth claim, right? Uh, I want to say what the Bible argues is that there is a truth that corresponds to reality, okay? That there is actual reality in the world, and truth corresponds to what really is, okay? It's not that you can have a truth and I can have a different truth. There's one truth, okay? And Jesus is going to say, I am the truth. He's just claimed, I am God, okay? And, and you can't go to heaven and not believe that, okay? 
He's made that clear. You, it, it, the Gospel of John's made this clear. You have life in the Son of God. Okay? John 1.1 1, 1 starts out. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. Okay? Fundamental truth in the Gospel. Jesus is God. But John chapter 20, verse 31, the end of the Gospel of John, states that uh, this is written so that you may believe in Jesus and that He is the Son of God, that you might believe in His name. And who he is. Fundamental truth of Christianity, Jesus is God. Okay? And that's the truth. And here we start out. And so with that in mind, let us look at verse 31 and kick it off there. Verse 31, Jesus says, If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who bears witness about me, and I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. We're going to see who that he is here in just a second. Verse 33, you sent to John, here's our first witness, he was born witness to the truth, not that the testimony that I received is from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. He was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light, but the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. Here's the second witness. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has himself bore witness about me. His voice you have not heard. His form you have never seen. You do not have his word abiding in you. There's the third witness. The scriptures. His word. For you do not believe the one whom he has sent. Verse 39, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life and it is they that bear witness about me, Jesus is saying. Verse 40, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. I do not receive glory from people, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. I have come in my Father's name and you did not receive me. If anyone comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe? When you receive glory from one another and you do not seek the glory that comes only from God. Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believe Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. <laughs> These Jewish leaders, they, they took pride in two things how much they love God, and how well they knew the scriptures. Okay, They went around, these people that Jesus is talking to that are wanting to kill him, with phylacteries on their head and around their waist. There were boxes. Okay, And on these boxes it, said, it had Deuteronomy 6, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. They went around with this box on their head, letting everybody know, I love God. And the bigger the box, the more holy you are. <laughs> okay, that's some of the big boxes. You know? I mean, they're going around with this on their head saying, I love God this much. And Jesus says, you got no love of God in you. You can wear that box all you want, buddy, but you got no love of God in you. Oh, but I know the scriptures. I know the scriptures better than anybody. Jesus says, if you knew Moses, you would believe me. You, 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 Moses means the first, you don't know the Bible, Jesus is saying. They wanted to kill him to start with. Can you imagine now? Verse 47. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? My words. This morning, I pray that... Um, for the Christian this morning, that as we look at these three witnesses, 
that your faith would be encouraged. That through looking at these witnesses and knowing even in your own life how you can use these witnesses in your daily Christian walk, that you would be encouraged and your faith would grow. Um, to those present who are not Christians, I pray that you would understand this morning why you don't believe, why you refuse to believe. And what you're going to see is it's not because of lack of evidence, okay? And so that you would understand even maybe more of your unbelief and why that is. And as Pastor Nate said, that you would see that you can come to Christ and have life, okay? So uh, number one, what's the first witness? Well, let's start just in verse 31 where we start out. Jesus said, it's kind of an odd statement, you might think, so we'll just kind of start there. If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. Jesus is not saying that his word is not enough. Jesus here is talking to these Jewish leaders who are very Jewish, okay? And Deuteronomy, the Old Testament is very clear. You know, don't accept one person's testimony. In Deuteronomy 17, you need two or three witnesses to collaborate, okay? Well, the Ten Commandments, you shall not lie, right? Well, that was one of the Ten Commandments, you should not commit perjury. I mean, it was very important when they gathered at their city gates to hear somebody's accusing somebody else, that, uh, especially murder, that there would be two or three witnesses to condemn somebody. And it was a death penalty in the Old Testament to commit perjury, to lie about something like that. So it was ingrained in the Old Testament that you need more than one witness. Now, Jesus is not saying, hey, my word's not enough. He's saying, I know that before you, you're going to want more witnesses. He says, I'm going to give them to you. Okay, I'm going to show these witnesses to you. But that, that also goes in the New Testament. Uh, church members in, in Matthew 18, you know, we want to obey this. The Bible says when you, somebody, a brother, sister in Christ is in sin, go to them with a ministry of reconciliation, hoping to rescue your brother or sister from the fire. Uh, but if they won't listen, if they won't repent, take another with you and, and then come and take others with you. And if they won't, take it to the church. So there's a, a more than two, uh, three witnesses there when it gets to that point, right? In church discipline. Um, 1 Timothy 4 talks about um, if someone makes an accusation against a pastor, an elder, an overseer, don't listen to one person. There needs to be more than one person making the accusation. So this is a New Testament thing as well, that there should be more than one witness. So that's, that's what Jesus is saying here in his context. Verse 32, as we start out, there's another who bears witness about me. Here's our first witness he calls to the stand. I know the testimony that he bears. Excuse me, we're not at John yet. He bears about me is true. Um, the he here is the Father, okay? And these three witnesses are God the Father's witnesses, okay? It's not like God the Father testifies and then John. No, all three of these are the Father's witnesses to the Son, okay? So if you're wondering, that's how this, this scripture is laid out. Verse 33, you sent to John... And he bore witness to the truth. John was like the first rock star in a long time. Uh, just for a quick hit, uh, you know, uh, we might be um, construed as Lutheran sometimes as much as I talk about Martin Luther. But one of the reasons the, the Reformation kind of kicked off is because the printing press in the 1400s. You remember that from hi history class? They created the printing press. And, and Martin Luther is kind of the first rock star in the world because he's the first one to understand how to use the printing press and really throw media out there using uh, books. And so that's kind of how it sparked and got famous because he, he, the print press happened. Right? Um, well, John the Baptist, 1,500 years before that, was the man around Jerusalem when he come to the scene. John the Baptist was, there was a fever. Every, remember, the Bible says all of Jerusalem, all the Jews went to go see John the Baptist. And we know he's kind of a crazy character anyways, when he eating honey and wearing words. But he, he was, he, it had been 400 years. 
in Jewish history since a prophet had they had had a prophet. Somebody stood and said, "This is from the Lord." And uh, Mr. Jeff, when he taught Sunday school today, you that the prophet uh, Zechariah, he you know it was uh, he told uh, Elizabeth, "There's a prophet. Your son will be a prophet of God." And John was one of the first prophets in 400 years, and he was big and faint. And there was a fever. People wanted to go see him. And so they went, and they rushed out to John. And, and even the Jewish, he's, Jesus saying to the Jew, these Jewish leaders, you sent people to go see John. You were like, y'all, let's go. Let's go out in the wilderness and see what this guy's saying. So y'all were big fans of John the Baptist, remember, he's saying. But what did John the Baptist bear witness about when he seen Jesus? He said, him. His message of John the Baptist was, I'm not the guy. I come to prepare the way for the guy. And the guy's right there when Jesus showed up. He told everybody, all the crowds, he said, that's the guy. That's the Lamb of God to take away the sins of the world. Before I was, he is. That's what he said. Before I existed, he is. That is God in the flesh. That's the Messiah. It's him. I have to decrease. He has to increase. So this famous Rock star of his time, John the Baptist, made very sure and plain in his message to say, hey, I'm baptizing. Remember, remember John's baptism, which is very interesting. Uh, we, I wish we had more time. But uh, he was baptizing people that came to me. He goes, I just baptize you with water. But there's one coming who's going to, right after me, he's going to baptize you with water and fire. Okay? And he's talking about Jesus. He's pointing everybody to Jesus over and over again in his message. And the kingdom, what did, what did John the Baptist say? The kingdom of God is coming. The kingdom of God is coming. And Jesus stands up behind him and goes, I'm here. I'm the king. The kingdom is here, Jesus started preaching. I'm the king. So that it was clear, and Jesus is saying, you know, y'all want to kill me, but you know that guy you like said, I'm the guy. Okay? So that, that's the point here. And he goes on, verse 34. Not that the testimony that I receive is from man. In other words, not that this is, not that, John the Baptist, that wasn't just John's word he's saying. He's saying that's God's word. Where did John get his prophecy from? Where did he get that Jesus is the man? Did that come intrinsically inside of him? Did that come from people telling him that? No. Jesus is saying it comes straight from the Father. The Father told John the Baptist who the Messiah is. You remember he said, remember he said it'd be the one you see the dove, just like the Holy Spirit descending on like a dove. The Father revealed to John the Baptist who the Messiah was. But I say these things, verse 34, so that you may be saved. He is a burning and shining lamp, and you are willing to rejoice for a while in his light. So y'all remember what happened to John the Baptist? Didn't end too well, did it? He got beheaded, okay? Because he then told Herod's brother that he shouldn't marry his sister. You shouldn't, right? We could all agree on that. You shouldn't marry your sister. Not popular back then, I guess. So he told Harry, you shouldn't marry your sister, and that found that got him killed. Um, okay, so John the Baptist lost his head. Somewhere in that point, John the Baptist already stepped off the scene. Okay, but what did he say? John the Baptist was a burning light. Okay, um, this is a different word than um, in John chapter 1 where John says Jesus is the light of the world. Jesus gets his light. He is the light. He doesn't get energy from outside himself. He is energy itself. He creates it. He, he is the I am. But John was a derived light. It, it come from God. It was burning. And I had, so this is the first witness, John the Baptist. What can we learn from that, Christian? Well, one thing here, John didn't end too well. For John to stand up and say what he said and to point to Christ and to stand on the truth, it was unpopular. It cost him quite a lot. 
And if we're going to be Christians and serve our community, serve our family, serve our church, serve the world in the name of the Lord and preach the truth and stand on the truth, we just need to know up front, it's not going to be popular. It's going to cost something. And Christian, we already know that, don't we? Because we gave our life to Christ. We, but Jesus said, if you want to follow me, you have to lose your life for my sake in the gospel because if you hold on to it and find it, you will lose it. So if you're a Christian this morning, um, you, you may sometimes build up anxiety. Okay, you, you may build up all of this concern and worry about the future or a, uh, a, a worry word, right? You might be worried all the time about what's going to happen next, okay? Well, Christian, here's what you need to remember. If you're Christ, He's your Lord. When you guys say, you, you said, Lord, here's my life. I give it to you. And the scripture's clear. Christian, you are not your own. You've been bought with a price, the precious blood of Christ. You've been bought. You're, you're not your own. And you and I need to remember that. That tomorrow's in His hands. Today's in His hands. Whatever happens to us, that's His responsibility to deal with. The results is His, not mine. Our responsibility is to abide in Christ. That is our responsibility as Christians. That should be our worry. That should be our concern. What happens? We, sh we should worry about honoring Him, standing on His truth, living our life how He would have us live. Remember, Christians, we are followers of Christ. That's what it means. That's our worry. That's our concern. What happens past that is His. We need to remember He is our Lord. We also need to remember that in ministry, when things get costly and things get hard, that the importance of the message of what we stand on as a church. And I'm not just talking about just Harvest Baptist Church, but the church at large, the big C Catholic, the church, the message of the, it, it's much more significant than social justice. It, it's much more important than financial prosperity. It, it's so much more important than wealth distribution or whatever, all right? It, it, what we are talking about here is more than the here and now. It is that, but it's more than that. It's eternity. We're talking about eternity in heaven or hell. We are talking about the glory of God. John the Baptist understood that, and it cost him. And friends, as Christians, we need to remember what the message of how important this message of the gospel truly is. So there's the witness of John. That's the first one. Second, verse 36. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John... Jesus, these are kind of getting better. You see how he starts with John. The next witness is going to be more important and hold more weight. And the next, the last one is even going to hold more weight than that. Is that a crescendo? Is that what that's called? Help me. Okay. Vocab's not that good. Okay. Thanks. Um, he's working up to it. In verse 36, for the works that the Father have given me to accomplish, the very works the Father who sent me has himself bore witness about me. So Christ, he's talking about his works. He's, he's talking here about his miracles. How many people at times, in John chapter 6, as we get there next week, we'll, we'll finish up John 5 this week. Don't, don't, don't be alarmed. Uh, no, we won't be in it again. We'll be in John 6, God willing, next week. There's crowds of people following Jesus. Thousands. I mean, one of the reasons these Jewish leaders get so upset is because all these crowds that were listening to them speak now go follow him because he's doing great miracles. He's turning water into wine. Let's just be honest. If you know somebody can turn water into wine, that's where we're going, okay? We're, we're going there, okay? We're shutting down and going to that guy, okay? Who can raise the dead? We're going to that guy, 
Okay, who, who can take somebody who's lame for 38 years and heal? We're going to that guy, okay? That's who we're all going to listen to. I mean, so crowds of people flocked after Jesus because of the works the Father gave him to do. I mean, you just think about Jesus from a secular standpoint from just a second, okay? Jesus never directly wrote a book, did he? But there are more books written about him than anybody else in history. Jesus Christ never, well, he's a carpenter, but he never physically built a building. But there have been more buildings built in the name of Christ than anybody else. I mean, more conversations, more people meeting in, in, about him. I mean, from a secular standpoint, time itself, how we number in calendar years, is built around his coming. He is the most important person in human history, even from a secular standpoint. Okay? He, no doubt he was given a great, he did a great things, okay? That's, uh, but even the miracles here, that's what he's, he's talking about. And he's saying to these people, you see these miracles. I want to say two things about the works of Christ that I think can apply to our life, our witness. And, and first is this, miracles do not create faith. Okay? I want to hear that again. Miracles do not create faith. There's a whole section of the church in America that wants you to think it does. That everything they do is, is focused around healings and all that kind of thing. Okay, What needs, needs to be said out loud is none of that creates faith. It may get a big crowd. Okay, It may get a lot of people somewhere, but a crowd doesn't make a church. Okay, And a church is not necessarily a crowd either. Okay, But here's what needs to be said. Um, faith, uh, miracles do not produce faith. In John chapter 3, be my, make my point clear. Nicodemus comes to Jesus. He's head Pharisee, head dude. He comes to Jesus in John 3 at night, and he goes, Jesus, I know, we know, you're from God. Because nobody can do these miracles you do unless they are from God. Okay? What does Jesus turn around and say to him? Oh, well, what great faith you have. Welcome to the kingdom. You, no, he goes, you, my friend, must be born again. You must be saved. Just because you know the miracle. I mean, think about, who, think about the context here. Jesus, these people knew this guy who hasn't walked in 38 years. Everybody knew who this guy was. Jesus heals the man. They all know Jesus does it. And they still don't believe to him. Here it goes back to one point. Non-Christians, the reason they won't believe, and if you're not a Christian this morning, you're considering the Christ and the gospel, you need to understand the reason you won't believe, the reason I didn't believe for so long, it wasn't because of lack of evidence. <laughs> they saw his miracle and they're talking to God himself right there in front of them. And it's not enough to convince them. In fact, how sinful we are after Adam is seen right here. Jesus is standing right in front of these people, right in front of them, healing people. And they say, mm, no. We just think a lot of times, well, if we can just somehow show them something cool at church or you know play a cool video or like say something fun tell a really good joke or like you know something like that then maybe they'll listen to the gospel or maybe Jesus is healing people in front of them and they want to kill him and if anybody was going to get it it would have been these people who studied the scriptures their whole life just in of themselves this speaks of our man's inability to come to God in his sinful nature okay and he, he says why because you don't love God. Because you don't want to. Jesus says, you don't come to me to get life because you don't want to. Because you're sin. Because you love sin more. 
You have to think, the Bible's clear. After Adam, we are born with this sinful nature. We're born bent away from God. We are born in this world. We have some beautiful babies in here. Brooks, um, Henry, about forgot my own son's name. I mean, <laughs> all these beautiful children. It's all right. I was at the pharmacy the other day and forgot everybody's birthday. Like, almost had to call my wife and be like, can you help me with birthdays? I was standing in front of the pharmacy and they were like, you don't know your kid's birthday? I'm like... I'm sorry, man. It's a long, long week. You know, like I just don't. Can you just look up Porter? Like, can you just find the name, please? And there can't be that many Henry Porters in the world. Can you just give me the medicine? I don't know the date. Okay, you know, it's, it's you know, you get it. Okay, but beautiful children in here, beautiful babies. But you and I, okay, when we were children, we're born away from God. We're born bent away, hating God. We're born Ephesians two one, children of wrath. You know, and as cute as they are, you might think, oh, they're so innocent. No, they're not. <laughs> you, you forgot what it's like with newborns. They're not. They don't care about your sleep. <laughs> I testify right now. They don't care. Could care less. Selfish, sinful, hating God right there. But we are we're really triply in our sin, not only because of the fall, but our own personal sin. And the Bible's clear, Satan blinds the eyes of unbelievers. So we're triply, and that's why I want to say miracles does not create faith. But here's the second thing I want to say. Miracles and the miraculous, it does strengthen existing faith. Okay? It does strengthen existing faith. Um, You remember John the Baptist, talking about John the Baptist. John the Baptist, remember, he's in prison for, um, you know, telling Herod's brother, you're not you shouldn't marry your sister. Uh, he's in prison there, and and he goes, huh, I wonder if, if, G- if Jesus is really the Messiah, would I be in prison right now? Wouldn't he break me out of here? Wouldn't he, like, fix this? He goes, hey, somebody go ask Jesus, just double it. Just go make sure he's the Messiah. Somebody go ask him if he's the Messiah. So they go ask Jesus. He sends a messenger. Hey, Jesus, John Baptist wants to know, are you really the Messiah? He said, you hang around and watch for a little bit. He says, the lepers are cured. The lame can walk. And the dead are raised to life. You go tell him that. You go show him my works. And, and let's all be honest, Christian. There's times we have real doubts about stuff, don't we? Man, is this is the Bible really true? Like, is this all made up? You know, I mean, if we all are honesty in our weak moments, we have doubts about it. But friend, the miracle. Look around you. Look at creation. Look at the sunset. How did that appear? Did you know everybody believes in a virgin birth? I mean, every person, atheist or Christian, both believe in a virgin birth. So what you talking about? Well, Christians, here at Christmas, we just celebrate. We believe that Mary was a virgin, and God indwelt her and, and filled with the Holy Spirit, and, he, and Jesus was born of a virgin. That's part of the gospel, okay? Virgin birth. Out of a dead womb, Jesus, God spoke into it, and Jesus, okay? Out of nothing, Jesus. Atheists believe that out of nothing, the whole world came. Boom. Oh, no, the Big Bang Theory. Okay, there was nothing, and then it went bang? Okay, good point. No, there's even science itself. Life only comes from life. You know what you get from nothing? Nothing. Nothing. The only way we got here is from something, an intelligent something, because look at this world around you. Be encouraged by that, Christian. By the world that you see, be encouraged. There's a maker creator. And God says, I, the God of the Bible says, I created it. Okay? The resurrection of Christ. Think about the resurrection of Christ and all the eyewitnesses. Go read 1 Corinthians 15. I mean, about apostles who saw 
the resurrected Christ, and they went around the whole world telling people Jesus resurrected from the grave. But you remember what the Jewish leader said? Y'all made that up. It didn't happen. Y'all stole the body. Y'all made that up. I want you to ask yourself something. Would people go around telling a lie? Well, sure they would. People do that all the time. But these apostles went around telling this lie, and it cost them their life. I don't know about you, but if I'm telling a lie and somebody goes, well, you keep telling a lie, I'm going to kill you. All right, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Joke's off. It, it was a lie. No, they said kill me because I'm telling you what I saw. I saw him resurrect from the dead. I, I talked to him I, for weeks. I see, he, is, he is the Messiah. He's the Savior of the world. I saw him. It cost all of them. They all died proclaiming that message. A man may willingly tell a lie, but a man will not willingly die for a lie. And all 12 of them did, and, and many more throughout history. No doubt. You think about the proofs of the resurrection, the proofs of Christ, history itself. I mean, be encouraged by fulfilled prophecy, all of those things. So that's the second one. Um, and here's the third one. Okay? Verse 38. He accuses them. He says, you have never seen God. You've never heard God. He says, I'm right in front of you. I am God in front of you, but you don't see me. Um, I'm talking to you, but you don't hear me. Wives. You understand what Jesus is saying there, don't you? You understand when your husband... I've been talking to you for 10 minutes, but you ain't heard a word I said. I'm standing right in front of you, but you have yet to see me. That's what Jesus is saying to them, okay? In verse uh, 38, And you do not have his word abiding in you. You search the scriptures, but these are the... He says at the end of verse 39... It is them that bear witness about me. I want to say real quick, this, I hope this is helpful because I know a lot of people started the new year, picked up really good habits about, hey, I'm going to read the Bible more. I'm going to read it through. That's wonderful. I've got some suggestions if you want them. Um, but that's wonderful. That's a great resolution. Praise the Lord for that. But here I think there's some things helpful that can help you understand just Scripture in itself. What does Jesus say about Scripture here? Well, in verse 38, he says, And you do not have his word. Jesus is saying, I want you to overlook his word here. And he, says, he uses that again, that phrase, his word, in the passage. Um, his word, he's talking about God's word. Okay. What did God believe about the Scripture? What did Jesus believe about the Scripture? He believed Scripture is God's word. Okay. There's two ways of looking at the Bible, friends. You, you can look at the Bible as if it is about God. You can look at it as it's written by men about God, much like a biography is written. Okay? Or you can, you can look at the Scripture is that it is from God to man. Okay? And fundamentally, Jesus is saying that it is His Word. He wrote it. It is from God. You say, what's the difference? Well, this past summer, I, I read a, a biography. I love Westerns uh, on John Wayne. Great, great biography. Crazy person. Yeah, great biography. I love, love John Wayne the whole, whole nine yards. It was a great read. Um, but I don't, know, I don't know him. Like, I've never. I would love to meet him. Yeah, he's dead. But you, know, you get what I'm saying. I know about him, but I don't know him. Okay, that, that's, one, that's how a lot of people come at the Bible, even Christians sometimes. I just want to know facts about God. Well, the Bible, Jesus is saying it's more than that. Um, it's saying this is about God, but this is from God. You can know God. This is His Word. You can know Him. He is trying to reveal Himself to you, not just about Him, but Him. Okay, So those are two fundamental differences. So he talks about the nature of Scripture. He talks about the inspiration of Scripture. In verse 46, who does he say about the writings of the Bible? Moses. 
do we as Christians believe that, you know, God just, this thing just dropped straight out of heaven? Now, the Mormons believe that's how the book of Joseph happened. We ain't got time, but that's off the rocker. But anyhow, I'll just say this. There's five men who said they saw that happen, and all five before they died said, actually, we just kidding. We didn't see that happen. Um, we lied. But anyhow, this just didn't fall out of heaven, if you will. Okay? What did we read in 2 Peter? That men of God were moved by the Holy Spirit, and they wrote Holy Scripture. And this, is, this is God's Word, but God used their situation, their context, and what they wrote as scripture okay so we need to be so he jesus has no problem saying what moses said is god's word does that make sense in acts chapter 2 when peter's preaching um peter says david said this and this and this as the lord said he has no problem saying david wrote this but it's the lord's word okay no no problem with that at all so he talks about this now how do we use the scripture so he talks about the nature the inspiration of scripture but how should we use it what how, how does this help us these verses well verse 39 he he kind of criticizes the pharisees he says you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life and he's not saying anything bad about searching the scriptures and we should notice that it's good to search the scriptures i'm scared some people just kind of use the bible as like a sleeping medicine like you know i just i just go to sleep and no no I, I read my bible at night so don't be hey mornings be crazy okay so i get it uh but some people you know i just i gotta put it on my checklist it helps me sleep better at night when i read the bible and just kind of do all that but you never actually search it you never actually get into it and here's the difference one would be like hey i'm just gonna walk down this path i'm just looking for the waterfall okay or i'm just looking for whatever but it's another thing to walk down a path and drop a contact or your glasses, because you and you start searching for it, right? There's a difference. You're on hands and knees trying to find it. And how do you approach the Bible? You know, some people will just kind of say, you know, I'll read the Bible when something jumps out, then I'll kind of look into it. Or do you say, no, I'm searching it. I'm looking to mind out the gold here. There, there's a lot of good things in reading two or three chapters of the Bible a day. There's a lot of good in that, and we should do that. But at the same time, there's a lot of good at taking one verse for a couple days and really getting it okay so do you search the scripture diligently jesus isn't condemning that we should search the scripture diligently but what did they not do well they missed it they missed it because they did not submit to it they missed the message and, and here's how they searched the scripture they at one point the jewish people even numbered every letter of the old testament not verses not sentences, letters. And they would have this crazy thing where we add up all the letters and try to make words. And Oh, I found something new in the Bible. You know, some modern Christians do that. You know, you, the verses. You know, if you look at every 2, 3, 16 or every 3, 16 in the Bible, you got this great new message. Those were, verses were added like in the 1600s. That's not from God. That's not inspired. You know, like trying to find something secret. You know, you, you know the books that sell in Christian world. The new code to understand the Bible. They ain't, they ain't no new code to understand the Bible, okay? It is not. But we're not careful. We'll do the same thing. What they did is they missed the message of the Bible. And, and the way we do that and the way people do that is we say, all right, we read the Bible and we say, here's what I think, and I'm going to read the Bible. And if the Bible doesn't really jive what I'm saying, well, I'll just keep reading it. Don't do that, friend. Don't do that. When you come to the Bible, 
if, you, if you're going to search it and understand it, you're going to have to admit that the Bible is God's Word. If you believe what we talked about the nature and what Jesus says about the nature of Scripture, then when you come to the Bible as God's Word, you submit to it. You say it's the authority, and you wrestle with it. That's how it changes your life. You wrestle with the Scripture. You just don't bypass it. If something goes against what you believe or how you live, you wrestle with it and let it change you. But here's the most important part. Don't miss the subject of the Bible. What did Jesus say in verse 48? For if 46, excuse me, for if you believe Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. They missed the most important part. They missed Jesus. Will you turn in your Bible to Luke 24? As we close, Luke 24. In Luke 24, in the Gospel of Luke's account, after the resurrection of Christ, these two men, these two disciples, these two people were walking away from Jerusalem. They were walking to a village called Emmaus. And we'll pick it up in verse 13. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about all these things that happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. They didn't didn't know who he was. This is the resurrected Christ walking with these two men. He said to them, What is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And still they looked sad. Then one of them named Cleopas answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that happened in these days? He said to him, What things? Jesus is acting like he don't know. And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he would be the one to redeem Israel. They're talking to Jesus here. And besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some of the women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and now they can't find his body. They came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it was just as the woman said. But him they did not see. And Jesus said to them, O foolish ones, slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer such things, the Messiah, and enter into his glory? In the beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted them in all the scripture, the things concerning himself. If you could be a fly on the wall, would you not want to hear Jesus preach about Jesus from the all of the Old Testament? How neat of a walk would that have been? Maybe the most important walk in all of human history to hear Jesus interpret the Old Testament, how it pointed to him. Did you know that in the New Testament, there are 312 references. The the writers of the New Testament reference directly 312 verses in the Old Testament. They're saying Jesus fulfilled all of these verses, all these prophecies. He's, and Jesus is saying all of Moses and the prophets were about me. They all point to me. What did John the Baptist say? Here's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. What did that mean? Where did that come from? Do you remember the story of Exodus? God's people had not fully believed him in the land that he had provided. And they found themselves for over 400 years under the rule of Pharaoh in Egypt as slaves and 
when God had decided to redeem his people and he told Pharaoh to let his people go and he wouldn't and so God's plagues began to fall on Egypt. Do you remember? And you remember the last plague was the plague of the death angel, the death of the firstborn son. And, and it was this, that the death angel would come and kill the firstborn of every home, Jewish or Egyptian, every home. And God said that only one way for the death angel to pass over your house, that you had to take a lamb without spot or blemish, had to slay it, had to kill it. You had to take its blood. You had to wipe it on the doorpost of your home. If you did that, that lamb would take the place of your firstborn. That lamb would die as a substitute for your firstborn. And that, the blood would prove that. And the death angel would pass over your home. And you remember God redeemed his people and the Jewish people were able to flee Egypt. And a nation was born by a lamb. What saved God's people in Egypt? These slaves from the Egyptian empire and really from God himself? Because it was God's plagues that were coming upon him. What saved them? A lamb saved them. And they celebrated for thousands of years, every year, the Passover lamb. Do you know where they raised Passover lambs? Bethlehem. That's where they raise them. That's where they find those without spot or without blemish in Bethlehem. Isn't it interesting in the Gospels that almost... 75% of, of Matthew, uh, Mark, and Luke are given to the last week of Jesus' life. You notice that? Even in John, we're going to get to John 13 to 20, is all about the last week of Jesus' life. I mean, it's like a zoomed-in examination of the last week of Jesus' life. Do you know what they did to those Passover lambs? Well, what we call Palm Sunday, which is the Sunday before when Jesus made his triumphal entry, when Jesus was, was coming in the eastern gate, the triumphal entry, a whole herd, thousands upon thousands of lambs from Bethlehem were coming in the sheep gate, same day. They would come in, and that whole week, the priest, these Jewish priests, would take these lambs, and they would examine every one of them. If there was one with a spot or a blemish, they were thrown out. It couldn't be part of the Passover. They were examined for a whole week. What are the Jewish people, what are the Jewish leaders doing to Jesus the last week of his life? They're examining. How many times do we see people say, I find no fault in him, Pilate. I find no fault in him. They're examining him. We find him to be without spot or without blemish, even under all that pressure and all of that, all the events that took place. But back in Egypt, would a live lamb do you any good? If When the death angel come, if you just put that lamb alive outside the door and say, I don't really want to kill it, if you just put it out there, would that do you any good? No. A live lamb would do you no good. It couldn't. And why is that? Well, God's teaching a lesson, Hebrews 9.22. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. Remission means, you know, somebody's in remission. It's gone. Cancer's gone. It's, it's out. For your sins to be gone. There must be the innocent shedding of blood to take the place of your sinful, wretched self. Jesus is teaching, God is teaching that lesson. So Jesus couldn't just be examined and be perfect. When John said, there's the Lamb of God, Jesus had to die for you. And what does redeem mean? It means to be bought. It means to become his own. And how were we bought? Peter 1.18 says, We're not bought with silver and gold as handed down by the traditions of men, but we were redeemed by the precious blood of Christ. What did Jesus say on the cross after he had shed his blood, after he'd been on the cross for hours in agony and pain? He says, It is 
finished. Priest, you can go home. Don't need you no more. Don't need you to kill no more lambs. Shepherds, don't need you to raise no more. It's over. He has paid the price. And friend, the Bible says he is our perfect substitute. That's what he's claiming to be. The Old Testament points to Jesus saying, if your sins are going to be atoned for, it will be in Christ and Christ alone. And it created a nation, right? In church, we are a kingdom of priests, the Bible says. So us as Christians, and in the book of Revelation, around the throne room in heaven, as you see, eternity prophesies as they're in heaven saying in Revelation 5, worthy is the lamb who can take the scroll and unloosen it. And he looked and he saw a nation, a multitude of people, a kingdom of priests who were redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. That's how we are redeemed by this Passover Lamb. Do you believe that? I mean, just really honestly, do you believe that? Do you trust that? Is that where your hope lies? Let me question. If it is, you remember your baptism, remember your public profession of faith, you need to hold on to that. You need to hold on what God has done in your life, what he's doing in your life, and let these witnesses encourage you. But if you do trust this and you do believe this, you've never been baptized. You never publicly profess that you trust Christ and Christ alone for your atonement. You should be. You should be. Let us pray. Father, thank you this morning for the opportunity to proclaim your word. Thank you for the testimony of your son. Thank you for John the Baptist. May we remember the lessons we learned from him that we must decrease, he must increase. Thank you for the works of Christ. Thank you for the truth. Thank you for the resurrection, Lord. Thank you for the hope that is in the death, burial, and resurrection of your son. Thank you for the Lamb of God that you sent to be our substitute. I pray that in this time of reflection that we would search ourselves and think about this encouragement or maybe reasons we doubt his word, how we use the Bible, how we think of the scriptures, and how we consider the death of your son. Work, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Harvest Baptist Church. For more information about the church, please visit our website, harvestbc.church. If you would like to contact us, please email us at contact.harvestbc at gmail.com or you can call us at 706-780-2211. If you are looking for a church home or visiting the North Georgia area, we would love for you to join us on a Sunday morning at 9.30 in the Fellowship Hall for breakfast and Sunday school, and then at 11 a.m. for our Lord's Day worship service. We hope that you have a great week. God bless.